okay. So let's let's uh, just have a quick word of prayer before we start. Father, again, we thank you for uh, all that you do for us. You are so you are so good to us. Far far better than we deserve. And we just thank you, Lord, for your love, for your patience with us. We thank you that uh, that you want the very best for us. And uh, part of the best for us, Lord, is to live in a way that is pleasing to you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, guide our thoughts tonight as we look over the material and into your word as we discuss questions and all that. Lord, may your will be done in our hearts and minds uh, this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I'll start off by saying that there is a, a uh, verse of scripture in the book of James that, that uh, should be a cause con for concern for many Christians. And I'll explain why. I know it's a concern to me. You know, there are several verses of scripture that are a concern to me. Yeah. Matthew 7, yeah. you know, uh, never knew you as one. Paul talked about, you know, his concern of being disqualified. That's another one that concerns me. Uh, this is just another one. But look at it. James 3, 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And that that concerns me. I mean, uh, it really does. Now, you may be thinking, well, that verse doesn't apply to me. Um, it, uh, yes, it applies to Pastor Peter here and to Pete and to Larry uh, and to you, Eric, but it doesn't apply to me. So I'm not concerned one little bit. To say that, I say, I mean, uh, to that, I say, not so fast. You see, it also applies to those who teach children in Sunday school and children's church. It applies to those who teach BBS, which we had recently, as well as Good News Clubs, which we're going to have coming up uh, very soon. It applies to those counselors and staff who work uh, worked this past summer at uh, Good Camp Good News. It applies to Christian parents who teach their children, raising uh, raising up their children and the way they should go. It further applies to Christian grandparents who babysit their grandchildren occasionally and teach them about Jesus. It also teach uh, applies to those who share their personal testimony, as I did this morning at church, uh, teaching the people what God can do in our lives. And it applies to those who share their faith, teaching people what the Word of God says about salvation. So who does it apply to? Is it just Pastor Peter and Larry and Pete and me? No, I would say just about everybody here. Uh, let me say this. Let me say though, who it does not apply to. It doesn't apply to the lost. 
who have the wrong idea of what the Bible says. It also doesn't, I mean, this, you could, you might question this, but it doesn't, it doesn't apply to marginal Christians, those who are bearing little or no fruit in their lives, barely clinging to Jesus, the true vine as described in John 15. They are in no position to be teaching the Bible, though sadly some do. But this evening, we're going to be looking at a short passage of scripture, also in the book of James, that separates mature Christians from marginal Christians. The mature Christians listen to the word of God intentionally with a strong desire to obey it. And that should be what all of us are and do. We read God's word. We listen to it with a determination that we are going to obey what we read, what it tells us. The immature Christians may also listen to God's word, but they rarely apply it to their lives. That's a sad reality, a sad fact. I have known Christians who have been Christians all their lives, and they're still immature, still immature, like newborn babes. Uh, and that's a sad thing. I think it's safe to say that those who listen with every intention of obeying it are held to a much higher standard than the others who say, I'm comfortable with my present level of obedience, and I have no desire to ever do anything more than what I'm doing right now. And to them I say, stop fooling yourselves. By the, uh, by the way, this is a sad commentary in the lives of too many Christians today, but it also concerns me as a teacher of the Bible that God is holding my life to a higher standard. And Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Because we, we are being held to a higher standard. We need God's help. All right, let's turn to the next page. Now, then the subject of this, this Bible study has a lot to do with self-deception. If a Christian, if a Christian sins because Satan deceives them, that's bad. But if a Christian deceives himself, that's far worse. There are true believers deceiving themselves in regards to their Christian walk. They think they are spiritual but they're only fooling themselves. Hopefully this Bible study will help us determine if that's what we are. It's a mark of spiritual maturity for a Christian to be honest with himself, admitting his weaknesses, his sins, his needs. It's a mark of spiritual immaturity, however, when a Christian pretends by saying, as those from the church of Laodicea said in Revelation 3.17, I am rich, I have acquired health, wealth, and I do not need a thing. That's a sad commentary on the Laodiceans. Spiritual authenticity, then, is the result of being in a proper relationship with God through his word, and folks, if we are rightly related to the truth of God's word, now catch this, 
we will not have a pattern pattern of dishonesty, deception, and hypocrisy. If we're rightly related to the truth of God's word, then that will not be a pattern in our lives. Now, that statement may seem overly simplified, but it is absolutely true. If we have been reading our Bibles with a spiritual determination to obey it, then nothing, nothing will deceive us about ourselves. We will be mature Christians living out God's word as he intends for us to do. Uh, so let's uh, let's go on then to the text we'll be looking at. I printed out three three different translations, but I want I know not all of you are necessarily fans or regularly read the New Living, but I want to read it because you'll see why. So just look at the uh, verses uh, twenty two through twenty five from the NLT New Living Translation, but. Don't just listen to God's word, James wrote. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling your, only fooling yourselves. Hmm. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what hmm. you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And we want God's blessing. And every time we read uh, his word, we want his blessing, which will come to us when we obey what we have read. So then it's not enough to merely listen to the word of God, but we must also actively do what it says. Now, many sincere Christians have the mistaken idea that listening to a good sermon, as pastor preached this morning, or a Bible study, is what makes listening to a sermon or a Bible study, that's what makes them grow spiritually. However, it's not the hearing, James says, but it's the doing that brings his blessing. It's one thing to mark up your Bible with lots of colors and write in the margins, and that may be good. I enjoy doing that, but it's far better when the Bible puts its mark on you. That's far better than you putting your mark on the Bible when the Bible puts its mark on you revealing what God wants you to know about yourself. So then if you think you are spiritual just because you hear or listen to or read God's word, then as James wrote in verse 22, you are only fooling yourself. All right. That is, that's the, the, the gist or whatever of, of what we're looking at tonight. So let's move on to the outline, Roman numeral one, the main purpose for owning, that's the word, for owning a bathroom mirror. And I think everyone here probably owns a bathroom mirror. 
the main purpose for owning a ba bathroom mirror. The main purpose for, for having a mirror is to look at ourselves. We want to look clean and neat, don't we, Larry? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I tease him when I think it's time for him to shave. We, we, we are checking for flaws in our skin, such as bruises, cuts and bruises, where our spouses uh, may have beaten us senseless. We certainly don't want to embarrass ourselves by having a piece of spinach between our teeth or having our hair stands straight up like Albert Einstein's. And, and guys, make sure that you are clean shaven with no stubble to scratch our wives when we kiss. And lady, ladies, make sure that uh, they, they have enough makeup to, to uh, cover their so-called unsightly blemishes. When we look into our bathroom mirrors, we see ourselves exactly, exactly as we are, for better or worse. In my case, it's worse. And, and in Sandy's case, it's better. Well, <laughs> the old saying is, the camera hides nothing. Well, I say the mirror hides even less than nothing. Uh, when we look into the mirror of God's word, we see ourselves as we really are, nothing hidden. And whether we are talking about a glass mirror or about God's mirror, it can be a horrifying experience for some more than others. <laughs> All right, now before we go any further, I want to offer this caution. Just because God wants us to spend a lot more time looking at ourselves in the mirror of God's word, that doesn't mean he wants us to spend a lot more time looking at ourselves in the bathroom mirror. Although some people are going to do it anyway. All right. All right, so let's go on then to Roman numeral two. Roman numeral two. Three, what? Mistakes. Three mistakes we make in looking at God's mirror. Three mistakes we make in looking at God's mirror. And uh, A is we merely glance at ourselves in the mirror. We merely glance at ourselves in the mirror. Now, what this means is that we often do not carefully examine ourselves as we read God's word, many sincere Christians read a chapter of the Bible every day. But listen, that does not guarantee that we are going to grow spiritually uh, by doing this. It, it might simply be a religious exercise and we fail to profit from it spiritually. Um, so let me say that our conscience would bother us if we did not if we did not have this daily reading when actually our conscience should bother us if we read our bibles carelessly thoughtlessly quickly a cursory reading of god's word will never reveal the truth 
about ourselves, our deepest spiritual needs, the promises that God wants us to trust or the commands that God wants us to obey. Uh, it's like the difference between a snapshot and an x-ray. Only an x-ray can get to the root of the problem within. A snapshot merely looks at the surface appearance. It can't tell what the person is really like. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So I dare say that if uh, X-ray machines were around in Jesus' day, he would have used it as another object lesson. So folks, have, as some here have said many times, and and. Rick, you are the very best at reminding of this. Out of everyone here, you're the best one at reminding of this, and I appreciate it. Well, well listen, and you'll find out. So as some, like Rick, uh, has said many times, uh, spending lots of time alone with the Lord in prayer, and reading God's word and meditating, reflecting on its meaning, and of course, applying it to our lives, communing with the Lord Jesus, asking him as David prayed in Psalm 139, 24, see if there be any wicked way in me. A quiet time like this is far more than a mere glance in the in the mirror. We should reap spiritual benefits from this, benefits that always lead to the abundant life that Jesus spoke about in John 10.10. 10. And let me just say that not, not all Christians are li living the abundant life. Mm -hmm. Not all Christians are living the abundant life, but that's what Jesus wants for us. All right, so let's go on to our questions then. You ready? Are you be, feel talkative? First question, why is it that we often glance into the word of God instead of gaze into it intently? Why do we do that? Why do we some very often glance and just, and don't gaze? Time. Time is probably the most. Okay. Lazy time and lazy, yeah. I mean, we may have time, but we don't take time, possibly. But lazy, yeah. What's another reason? We. What's another reason why we often don't uh, gaze, but we glance? We don't like what it says. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We don't like what it says. I wrote down perhaps it's because we're afraid of what we're going to find out about ourselves. <laughs> and, and, and that will keep us from looking intently at the word of God because we're just, we don't want to know the truth. 
We don't want to know the truth. And so we just gloss over it. Big mistake. That's not why God gave us his word to gloss over it. Priority is another plan. Okay, we priority. Don't, we don't put it high enough on the list. Right. <laughs> you know, each day we've got a we've got a list. Most of us have got a list in our mind uh -huh. of what we need to accomplish. Yeah. Most of the time that's not a priority. Yeah. You know, we prioritize yeah. eating, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> different things. That's right. That's right. Very that's a good one too. <laughs> All right, anybody else have one? I think distractions. Distractions. There, it is hard. Like I, I'm not normally going to work. I, um, so I have to be careful though when I get up in the morning that I mean, you know, I have animals to take care of or anything, and I can easily get distracted with doing something else. Yeah. Uh, looking at yesterday's mail. Uh -huh. um, looking at my calendar. Looking at this. Looking at that. Oh, let me check if this shift. Or yeah. That, and all boy, boy, if I pick up my phone the next thing, you know, I'm looking at yeah all kinds of stuff. Right. Checking on everything, and um, and then in no time I've wasted thirty yeah. minutes or more. Right. And so and then I'm like, oh, look, I'm sorry. I was like, yeah, you know, get yeah. Ready to leave your work. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just easy. Distractions are easy. Right. Right. What what is one word, a one word answer that could describe all the answers we've given, including mine? Complacency? No. Um, well, that is good. I had in mind excuses. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, we make excuses. And, and they're, you know, in our minds, they may be good excuses at the time, but they're still excuses. <laughs> so we need to think about those priorities, those fears that we have, all these things that we talked about. Yep. And, and do it anyway. Find that time. To do it. All right, number two, thinking about Pete's time of repentance that he has us do on Sunday mornings in the worship service. When we confess these often overlooked sins, as he calls them, what should our repentance lead to each Sunday? These times of, of, of it looking inwardly. And a time of confession to the Lord, repentance and confession. What should these uh, times of repentance lead to? Well, they're called times of repentance, and repentance is changing your mind and turning around and going in the other direction. Yeah. And so it should lead to that. Yeah. Yep. So, right. An act of turning away from those attitudes and actions. Um, Turning away from that, turning to obedience to yeah. what the Bible uh, says uh, about uh, about each one of these. Uh, I don't know if it's over often overlooked sins. Is that the term Pete uses? I can't remember. There's a term, and I I couldn't remember for sure what. It is. is that it? Yeah, I couldn't remember for sure. But anyway, yeah, turning. Uh, it's an act of turning away from those those sins and and well, uh, Bruce Walker's that it's coming next Sunday mm -hmm. has a slogan that Pete repeats a lot, and that is that repentance is the maintenance of the Christian life. It is. It is. Yeah, that is a good 
Yeah, it, it's a it's like a maintenance, a tune-up. You tune up your car. You do a lot. Our, our special eyes need to be tuned up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when you earnestly confess that sin, then you go the path to the Lord. And that makes you that much closer to Him. You know, that's what it has to do with yeah. you know, talks in Revelation a lot about repentance. Right. You're supposed to repent, be obedient with our repentance. Right. Um, it's not we all we all sin. Yeah. Know? And um, but what I'm saying is that once you confess that sin and you were sincere about it, it's just yeah. not worth because you're sincere about it. Yeah. Then it's that's a that's a it's, you have that closer relationship. It's more intimate. It's like if you you did something wrong to somebody and you knew you did wrong, you wouldn't confess it. And then so you feel better. It may not clear the air totally, but see what it got with the Lord, yeah. it does clear the air totally. Yeah, right. Exactly. Good. All right, so we move on, or anybody else have anything to say? All right, B. Um, letter B, we quickly what? Forget what we see about ourselves. Forget. We quickly forget what we see about ourselves. So if we're looking deeply enough into our hearts, what we would see would be unforgettable <clears throat> if we look deeply into our hearts and uh, not unforgettable as the Snack King told something, which I love. And not necessarily unforgettable forgettable in a bad way. These days, we, we tend to smile at the extremes of people back in the days of the great revivals when they would fall prostrate on their knees in front of everyone in the church being convicted of their sin and crying out in repentance. But in our day, we could use some of that <clears throat> conviction of sin and, and not be uh, embarrassed over the fact that we are repenting of those sins. Um, they had something in those days of revival that we just don't have today. And it's our loss yeah. that we don't have that. John Wesley described a preaching, described preaching at a revival saying, one person before me dropped as dead, and presently a second and a third, five others sank down in half an hour, most of whom were in violent agonies. And that's, you see the, the reference for where that came from. So before we relegate these people and these early people and these great revivals, before we relegate them to an insane asylum, let's remind ourselves of how some of the Bible saints responded to a true understanding of their hearts. For instance, Isaiah cried out, Woe to me, I am ruined or I am undone. Woe to me. And this was the cry of his heart. And remember what Peter said to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And Job was the most righteous man on the earth in his day, and yet he confessed, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And then finally, 
Paul cried out, what a wretched man I am in Romans. Folks, our names will never be written in the Bible as Isaiah's uh, is, nor are we likely to rem be remembered as men and women of great humility like the missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. But when God gets a hold of our hearts, revealing truth about ourselves that we need to confess as these great men did then, we can be among those rare Christians who truly see themselves as, God's, uh, as God sees them. And in this seeing is humble repentance and deliverance from the sins that God shows us in the mirror of his word. And that should be the mm -hmm. utmost desire of our lives, to be free from the sins that we cherish, to be free to do exactly what God wants us to do, to be free to receive God's greatest blessing. And this is the freedom that James wrote about in verse 25. So let's go on to our next two questions. Why do you think people two centuries ago were less uh, self-conscious? about their personal dealings with God than we are today. They didn't they weren't too embarrassed to come to the to the altar and, and weeping over their sins. They weren't too embarrassed. Why well, is it we're too self-conscious? One of the reasons may be uh, the preaching which is Wesley, not Wesley. Uh, who was it? John, John Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. His speech in Sinners and the Hanging. Yeah. Hanging. It was a powerful sermon. It was. Read. And there were people that were that were crying out for mercy and holding on, they say, holding on to the pews with white, white knuckles. Yeah. Uh, begging God not to let them fall into the pit. Through that yeah. Uh, pit. Yeah. Covered and, pit. and that's pretty, uh, pretty dynamic preaching. And I can, uh, it's, yeah. Uh, and that could be one of the reasons why. Preaching, I would like to have that kind of response, but I, just not to make a detour on that. But the greatest response to any sermon in the Bible is the response to Jonah when he went back to Nineveh. That was a yeah. universal dependence there, yeah. and it shows that the power is mainly due to the work of the Spirit of God and not right. Yeah, yeah, well, that is so true. I think, I think also we can see the power of Satan. As we're getting closer to the last days, how how more and more deceived people are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he I think that he has an inkling, Satan has an ink, inkling that we are in the last days. And therefore, I think he works extra hard to deceive us and, and to destroy us. I think he works extra hard. Anything he can do, I think he he does. Uh, he does do that. All right. You know, I, I, I really don't think that we see our sin God's I agree with you. I think, I, think I agree with you. Uh, I, I love the change here. I think so. Yeah. You know, yeah. I love that you good change. Yeah. And yet, isn't that the purpose 
of God's word is to help us see our sins as God sees our sins. So if we would concentrate more on the word of God and allow the spirit to speak to our hearts, uh, it would make a huge difference in our lives. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, that's what we were talking about. We're talking about the, the difference of the, that these kinds of things made people. You listen to people. Yeah. And, uh, but that difference and that pressure is available to us every morning. We'll take advantage of it. We, it may not impact us in tears like that, but that's not the, the fault of the word. It right. be that we're distracted by other things. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to turn the TV off and the yeah. time you got the word. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. All right, number two, what would it look like to be free from the sins we cherish and be free to do exactly what God wants us to do? What would that look like? And, and to a certain extent, Larry, you know, described that uh, just a moment ago. What would that look like? What did I say? I don't know, but it was good, but I have no idea what it was. I, I was listening, but not intently. <laughs> well, we've seen, in my opinion, uh, an example of that yes. to a good degree in the life of Rick after he found out he had cancer. It, it shows a very obvious difference to me in his life. It was a very quick. Yeah, yeah. It was a, a, an experience that, that I ended though. Yeah, I I uh, I told a couple. I think I told told Kevin and Tim um, that the most noticeable change in anyone in this church is this fellow by the name of Rick here. The most you. In terms of uh, the most improved, you don't know my heart, really. Okay, <laughs> maybe I don't. But anyway, it was noticeable to me the very first time I saw you back in December. Um, but I want to say this: I think it says that what would it look like to be free from the sins we cherish? Mm -hmm. Okay, as we draw closer to the Lord, as we learn, as we read His Word, and we get closer to Him, the sins that, that we cherish should be replaced with the, the uh, enjoyment of being in his word. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's before, before we, we all sin, but before we, I came to the Lord, you know, there's things in my life I did that um, I won't repeat, but right. those things I don't care about. Yeah. And, but you cared them at the time. I did. And, I, and, the, and the friends and the things that, that but see, that's not important to me. Yeah. What's important to me is that I, I still sin, and I sin every day. Yeah, I know that, that I have a Savior that loves me. Yeah. So, but no, don't. I'm not on no. Well, right. I just wanted to. I just wanted to uh, tip my hat. Not me, Lord Jesus. All right. I know that. Very right. good. Thank yeah, you. that's good answer for you. Good thing for you to say. Um, well, we've, we've we've answered it very well. Let's go on to see. Uh, we fail to obey the word of obey. We fail to obey what the word, uh, what the Bible tells us we should do. 
Now, remember, these are three mistakes that we make in looking at God's word. The third mistake we make is we fail to obey what the Bible tells us we should do. For some strange reason, we think that listening is the same thing as doing. It's not. Too often, we Christians substitute reading the Bible for obeying the Bible, or even substitute talking about the Bible for doing what it says. We attend Bible seminars and conferences like on topics like evangelism and church growth, and we think we've made significant progress. But by, uh, but by going to these things, there is no guarantee of any real difference in what we've made, uh, in, in what we accomplish as a church or as church members. Uh, you know, we could, we go to these things and we think, ah, it's going to change me. It's going to change our church. We're going to really go forward. It may not. And there's no guarantee. It's not just going that makes a difference. It's doing that makes a difference. While there's nothing wrong with attending seminars and conferences, they are a poor substitute for substitute for obeying what we already know we should be doing. Let me say that again. While there's nothing wrong with attending these seminars and conferences, they are a poor substitute for obeying what we already know we should be doing. What's the point of hearing the same things over and over and over again, year after year, and then do nothing differently? Not obeying what we know to do. James 4, 17. And here's another verse that kind of scares me at times. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Anything that we know what we should do, but we don't do it, that is a sin. After King Saul tried to convince Samuel, that his worship was truly an act of obedience, even though he had not completely destroyed the wicked Amalekites, as the Lord told him to do, the wise prophet Samuel revealed the truth by asking him in 1 Samuel 15, 22, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Very important question that Samuel asked. When God tells us in his word what he wants us to do, it doesn't matter how often we go to church, how well we sing hymns or give our tithes and offerings or, or read our Bibles or pray or listen to sermons. If we do all that and still don't acknowledge everything the Lord has revealed to us about ourselves, showing us what he wants us to do, then our worship is just as meaningless as King Saul's. We are only fooling ourselves. 
God does, doesn't want us to go through the motions of religious religiosity. He wants our religion, as James called it, to be more like what he described in verse 27. Look, look at it. Uh, well, I'm going to set up by reading verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion is worthless. And then James shows us where the rubber meets the road in verse 27. He describes this. He said, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, of course, this is not the full extent of God, what God wants us to do as Christians. This is very important. James said so. God said so. But this is not all that we should be doing. But here James is describing the person who reads the Bible but doesn't allow the words to get into his heart or to express itself and having a heart that really cares about people in need. In essence, James was uh, saying in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, that just as faith without works is dead, listening without obeying, that's also dead. Just as dead as faith without works. To read the Bible regularly, but never having a caring heart. That is just as dead a faith as anyone can imagine. As Jesus said in John 15, 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So, folks, it doesn't get any more graphic than what Jesus said right there. Here is a branch that has no fruit. Fruit, which is a proof that he is really connected to the vine, the Lord Jesus. That man is not abiding in Christ. His life shows no pattern whatsoever of obeying God. So let's go to the, two, the, the last two questions we have. And that is, first one is, who are the ones who will have a caring heart? Who are they? The obedient ones. Christians who have a caring heart. They are obedient. What, are, what verse in scripture are they obedient to? This one we just read. James. James 2, 14. Exactly. 18. Religion that, that uh, well, 2, 14. Um, to 18, right? It, yeah. Faith without works is dead. Yeah, right. Okay, that too, yes. Reading your Bible without doing what it says mm -hmm. is dead. Yep. Yep. Um, all Christians who listen to God through his word, and obey what, what they hear, they will 
for sure have a caring heart. It is impossible for a, an obedient Christian to not care for people, to not have a caring heart. And by that, I mean not just caring for our friends, but caring for people in need, wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever their station in life is, whatever they're going through. If we, it is absolutely impossible to have to be an obedient Christian and not care about people. That's that's kind of part of the main message that John has in First John, where he says that if any man hates his brother, he is deceiving himself for the truth. Right. He's not a believer. Right. This this uh, we what we have discussed tonight uh, throughout this text uh, things for example like talks about people that are marginal Christians and bear little or no fruit and barely cling to Jesus true vine uh, that they have no interest or they don't obey really I think it's a cause for questioning whether they say absolutely it is. it's a it's um the I was raised in Southern Baptist and I've been to churches. Where they've had revival meetings and things, and inevitably you'll have where somebody is under conviction that people that you thought were, were Christians for many years will come forward weeping because they the Lord has spoken to them yeah. and they've been leaving living a deceived yeah. life. Right, and that's right. what John's saying there in John fifteen, yeah, about the fruit, and uh, that's what concern for me as well. That, that he said that uh, you give fruit to prove you're a disciple. Right, and he said to me, you will know them. You will know all about yeah, them but, and, by their fruit. And, yeah, and, and John does say there in that text when he talks about that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, as you will, and by this you prove to be my disciple that you bear much fruit. That's right. And that's that's right. That gives evidence. There yeah. is that evidence. And, and you're right. There are a lot of people, and we, I think we allow them to carry the title of Christian. But they're really not. We need to be always making people aware that if your life is not in obedience, you need to examine yourself. Yeah. You really, we can't judge. No, but we, can we can't judge, but, but we can see the fruit. Exactly right. Yeah. And we need to begin with our own lives. Every morning, yes. every day. Lord, let it begin with me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who? David. Come Over on. here in my corner. Yes. <laughs> I need a. I need a. Omitted you almost. This pastor kind of focused on the word this morning during his what message. Word? Reside. If you have Jesus residing in your daily walk, it really puts a check on how you deal with people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's quick to make a smack word, but if you <laughs> know that if a smack word on somebody, smack them oh, upside the head. Yeah. If you know that Christ is right there residing in your daily yeah. walk, it helps you check it a little bit. Yeah. Well, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That that is so important. Abide was a good word. Abide is a biblical word, obviously, it's a good word. Yeah. When Pastor said reside this morning, that really abide, that really was a well, but but that particularly words, just abide is 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 you know uh, relationship reside is wow to me to me is that was a good word 
Whatever, whatever really gets to you, that's the word that you should use. Did I hear you say something? Larry, okay. That means that there's something that you can do about it. Huh. Well, the Spirit wants to be active in you, but you have to allow that. Yeah. Yeah. And living that Christian life all about giving. Right. It's all about giving. That's right. It's not what we can gain from it. It's what we can give back. Yeah. And and in doing that, we give back to other people. And if we do that, we're doing it in Christ's name. Yeah. Right. You know, that cup of cold water. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So so the Christian life is all about giving. Yeah. It's not about giving. It's all about giving. Absolutely. Well, Dinah's a lot of her friends are getting very sick. We all have very sick friends, terminally sick, you know. And we were discussing last night that, you know, this short life is really not about us. It has nothing to do with us. Yeah. The Lord placed us here to glorify his name. Right. And to do his work. Uh Uh-huh. A lot of times I think mine's a little more important. (laughs) And like Larry said, it all comes down to the time that you give him. Yeah. Yeah. But no, his his work's going to be accomplished regardless. <clears throat> and he allows us the uh, ability to be a part of it, right. which is massive. Yeah. You know, does yeah. he need our help? No. Because well, his will will be done. It's, it's but, like uh, Henry Blackaby said, look to see what God is doing and join him in it. And that's a very, that's really good advice. Hmm. Um, that's true. Roman numeral three, blessings for those looking honestly at ourselves in God's mirror. Verse 25 is all about the transformed life. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, will be blessed. Will be blessed. Not blessed with material things, but blessed in the things that uh, he does. Now, when I was in art school, uh, what I was taking art in high school, rather, our instructor um, taught us how to draw the perfect head. And after we completed the assignment, uh, he said, now I want you to look at uh, this perfect head that you've drawn and compare it to your head. And uh, uh, so I went, there was a mirror in the back of the room for this purpose, and I went back there, I looked at my head, and I said, I've got a perfect head. And then he had this chart with all these different shaped heads. And then he said to me, and uh, like I said, he's a good friend of mine, but he said to me, Eric, this one is your head. What? And it wasn't the perfect head, not even close. It was like it was, huh? It looked like an egg. It, no, no, <laughs> a, a, an egg head is more perfect. Mine looked more like a balloon it, it, or a basketball. See, Rick, all those things you said about you earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> forget about all that. <laughs> you just justified yourself there, brother. But anyway, notice what notice that James called the Bible the perfect law that gives freedom. And about this idea, Jesus said in, in John 8, 31 and 32, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. 
then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that should be the utmost desire of our hearts, mm -hmm. to be free from the sins that we cherish. We talked about that, to be free to do exactly what God wants us to do, and to be free to receive God's best blessings. And this is the freedom that James wrote about in, in verse 25. Uh, in Roman in Romans 12 to the Apostle Paul writes about that life. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This person's life, described in Romans 12 too, this person's life will be changed by looking intently at the perfect law that gives freedom. Merely listening or, or reading God's word is not going to change anyone, but when we look intently at it, as we've said many times already tonight, comparing ourselves with perfection, our mind is renewed or changed by who or what we really are. And uh, in conclusion, let me say to you honestly that I hope I'm not one of those who is be, uh, fooling ourselves. Um, if I am, then obviously I need to stop fooling myself. I say this because I'm keenly aware of my tendency to think I'm better than I really am and Ask my wife, Sandy, she knows it's not true that I'm really better than I think I am or as good as I think I am. And so may I say this about us Christians? I think we are more the way James describes us than, uh, than any of us are willing to admit. I think we, uh, we read our Bibles more and apply it less, sadly. And if this were not the case, uh, wouldn't it reflect in our daily Christian lives? Wouldn't we be more understanding and kinder, especially at home? Wouldn't our tempers flare less often? Wouldn't we be more interested in spiritual things than worldly things? Wouldn't we be more courteous drivers? I won't mention any names, <laughs> even while following some stupid slowpoke who's driving 15 miles an hour below the speed limit. Wouldn't tragedies in our lives make us stronger mm -hmm. instead of weakening us? And wouldn't our hearts be saddened more deeply when we learn about the trials that other people go through, the loss of a loved one, serious health issues, financial struggles, failing marriages, children who have rejected the faith that we have tried to instill in them, a wayward Christian who seems to be going off the deep end. Folks, it's time for us to stop fooling ourselves about the level of our spiritual maturity, a maturity that results from uh, cons consistently uh, obeying everything God shows us. And I can say to you, uh, believing that we are all in the same boat to one degree or another. We need to stop fooling ourselves and be honest with, with ourselves, with God, as we look into his word. Let's pray.
Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. It, my goodness, it means so much to us. And yet sometimes, as I've said, sometimes it can be scary. And sometimes it, it, it causes me concern. Nevertheless, you've made it easy for us to read, uh, but not always so easy to obey, at least not to obey in our own strength. But we thank you. Lord, we thank you for that precious promise in 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for, for a godly life life and godliness uh, through our knowledge of him who call us by his own glory and goodness. Lord, you've given us everything we need in order to obey you. Everything. Your word to light our path, your spirit to help us understand the truth of what your word says. Your son who inspires us to stay on that straight and narrow path. And Father, your divine power given to us, enabling us to live godly lives that are pleasing to you. And for that, we thank you so much. But Lord, we still need to pray. Even though you've given us everything we need, our sin gets in the way sometimes. We tend to gloss over your word. We tend to look at ourselves in the mirror and think, oh, I'm not doing so bad. Oh, Lord, how we deceive ourselves sometimes. We often fail to compare our true selves to the truth of what you want us to, to be and to do, how to live. Search us, oh God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked or offensive way in us. Lead, lead us to the way everlasting. We pray this sincerely, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.